0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin.
1: And I'm Dean Reverman.
0: Dean, what would you do if you had $1.2 trillion to spend?
1: Ooh, $1.2 trillion. Yes. See, that puts me in like, that's like Jeff Bezos. No, that's like Elon Musk territory, right? Uh, I could do a lot with that kind of money, I think.
0: I think you could. You could. You could. I mean, you could buy as many Teslas as you want. You could I could potentially buy Tesla. Maybe I don't know. There don't are know
1: small Tesla countries like I could purchase for that kind of money. I
0: think yes, yes. Probably. Would you be a benevolent dictator or you know, <laughs> or an autocrat? <laughs> DVD. I don't know. Give me <laughs> $1.2 and
1: I'll give it a try.
0: <laughs> well, you know, power corrupts. So that's, like, right, that's right. But let's be honest, having that kind of money is a good problem to have. And the reason why we're talking about that is because the government finally signed this giant infrastructure deal a few months back for $1.2 trillion. It has become a reality. So we brought Jeff Smith, our resident expert on all things government, back on to talk about this. Uh, We're going to get into details about the plan, what came out of it that we were expecting or maybe didn't expect, what it might mean for our VARs, what are we looking at as far as timelines, what Mm -hmm. should our VARs be doing right now regardless of where this is in the process. Of course, we'll take a little peek in at what's happening at Fed State Local as well. Uh, so, a lot of stuff to cover here, a lot of opportunities for our VARs. Uh, as always, our usual value to the VAR. And what's Tech Connecting with us? It's time to plug in and get connected.
2: Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's
0: time to get connected. <laughs> So welcome back, Jeff Smith, three or four-time guest. We don't remember at this point how many times you've been on. Uh, you are you are clear for the you know the, the Tech Connect podcast jacket, which is just a t shirt at this point.
1: So <laughs> a very stylish t shirt, though. Come on now, that's my lucky true, day. Yeah. It-
0: <laughs> so you can wear that all around, and people will go, "What's the Tech Connect podcast?" And you'll have to explain it to them, and they'll be like, "Okay, that's nice." Uh, so <laughs> Jeff is the the president of Upside True Upside Consulting. Uh, he's also a frequent consultant for Zebra and our official government person that we love to bring here on the podcast. So thanks so much, Jeff, for coming back to us. What have you been up to the last few months? I'm sure it's been busy.
2: Yeah, thrilled to be back. It, it's been incredibly busy. A lot of activity with this new administration. Obviously, the infrastructure bill passing, uh, new policies being put in place by the administration, new appointees being put in place with administration, helping our clients navigate with uh, and create new relationships as, as the administration uh, turnovers happened. And, and obviously, a lot of excitement uh, with the infrastructure deal passing uh, from a standpoint of, you know, we've got to follow that money. We've got a lot of money to follow now. We've got to help our partners follow it.
1: Yeah, as we were saying offline, Jeff, the government always has money, you were saying, right? Uh, it's just incumbent upon us to try to figure out where those opportunities are going to lie for solution integrators and in our customers. And there's Going to be some significant opportunities,
2: I would imagine, coming off of $1.2 trillion.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It, it's an
2: exciting time, and it's going to be really interesting to see how all the, the funding gets implemented. Uh, we know that about 20 to 25% of this funding historically for this type of bill has gone specifically to technology and technology services. We know that cybersecurity uh, has already, some of the uh, cy- key cyber initiatives have been tagged to these funds. And so there's going to be a tremendous opportunity for our, for us and our partners, uh, from a trickle down of of a, a large percentage, or at least 20 to 25 percent of this 1.2 trillion.
0: So Jeff, I got to ask, when this bill was finally announced and signed, did you have that moment where you were like, "Yes," and then immediately turn around and go, "Oh crap, what do we do next?"
2: Yeah, we. I guess Miller Hyman called that the euphoria panic continuum. Yes, something <laughs> great happened, and now I've got to figure out how. Uh, we can help our clients, uh, exploit this, uh, to their capability, you know, against their capability sets. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it has been a, um, a non-seasonal event you would say, uh, and the, the procurement actions and the, the, uh, initiatives and the planning, uh, for utilization of these funds is, is, uh, non-seasonally active, uh, mm-hmm in a very differentiated
0: way. So uh,
2: we're busy. (laughs) I
0: can understand that. Well, then let's kind of get into this deal and and what came out of it. The last time you were on some of the stuff that you were looking at and expecting to come out of it were at least where opportunities for our VARs are concerned, were things like school modernization, uh, updates to VA and federal buildings, uh, strengthening rural broadband or just getting rural broadband out there into places where it's normally not. And then strengthening our supply chain, who Dean talked a little bit about that, getting some more of that reshoring, bringing business back to the States, or at least back to North America. Did all of that make it in? Were there any other opportunities you've seen that, that you weren't expecting?
2: Yeah, I think the bill, from a technology standpoint, there were some trade-offs at the end, You know, the typical bipartisan trade-offs. Uh, but from a technology standpoint, the bill was really what we discussed uh, the last time we previewed it. Uh, I do think that one of the things that's interesting is to see already cybersecurity being a part of the transaction or the, the uh, planning uh, for this procurement and for these funds. Uh, that's interesting, but very few surprises from a technology standpoint uh, and all the, the things that we discussed last time that you brought up uh, are all going to be positive for, for us and our partners.
1: Yeah, and it's I, one word that I found kind of fascinating is the word resilience. See, right? That's a part of the, and that speaks to the cybersecurity. Now, uh, when I was reading, it's forty-seven billion that they're allocating towards what they're calling resiliency in two big buckets: cybersecurity and then climate change mitigation. Which I don't know that we play so much in the climate change mitigation world, but certainly the cybersecurity world uh, is one of those areas. And and we've talked a lot about how our resellers need to have. In their tech stack, the ability to have security solutions for, it. and we did talk a lot about it, but but this is just further support of the fact that the funding is going to be behind again more of this cybersecurity stuff and connectivity, right?
2: Yeah, it's making our infrastructure right secure. Yeah, and so you have to do that through cybersecurity, and it's a great point on the forty-seven billion because the federal IT budget is anywhere from eighty-five to ninety-two billion. So you're talking in an annual cycle. So you're talking about over 50% of an annual IT budget for the federal government being allocated out of this bill for cybersecurity. Uh, Imagine that opportunity for us and for our partners. And it's not only just understanding how to bring secure solutions to government. It's also understanding how to adapt to the government regulations regarding security. Mm. Right. Regarding uh, your security posture, regarding how you what certifications you have, ISO 27000 being a great example and understanding that as you know, to deliver cyber, you have to have a government um, specified or government like security posture. Right. So there's some new barriers to entry here with this money. But when you look at over 50 percent of an annual IT budget for the federal government, tremendous opportunity.
1: Yeah, and you just were talking like a little bit about that. What's I'm struggling for the word, but you, but the government is going to be taking a, a more stringent look at these opportunities, right? Uh, as they come in, there's just going to be more scrutiny behind the solutions, behind who gets the spend, those types of things. Is that correct? And and, and to your point, obviously, on the cybersecurity side, you have to have a, a solution that is valid within their ecosystem. But But beyond that, it sounds like there's going to be some scrutiny as well.
2: Yeah, we're seeing some of the typical tactical uh, administration changes that happen when you move, when you change parties uh, in government. And uh, we were on with a a program manager at DOD today that we we do a lot of work with, with one of our clients. And she made the point that, yeah, we think we're not worried about getting the funding, but we think there's going to be more oversight and we think there's going to be more uh, justification for us to get the dollars. Based on the administration change, again, what what whatever partisan this is not a partisan uh, observation. It's it's just what happens when you change uh, parties and administration. So, um, you know, from the government side, what we're hearing from the government end user side is, you know, we need more communication, we need more integrated planning, and we we're going to need more help from industry to justify things that may have just gone through as. A set aside or an other transaction authority type of procurement, with very limited oversight and and no competition, right? Mm-hmm. So, we've got to keep our eyes on that, and you know we've got to over communicate um, if we want to go get these dollars associated with with uh, the infrastructure plan. And you know,
1: when I think about it, infrastructure, you know, when I first heard that, I guess whenever this started to be talked about, you know, you think about some of the traditional stuff, of course, railroads, roads bridges and even there there's opportunity for our resellers and the ones that blue star sells to we do have a a significant portion of people that sell into for example, utilities. Uh, and I know that the power grid uh, is going to see a significant amount. I think it's $65 billion is being put towards the power grid. Uh, and so, you know, that's an industry that has a lot of asset management, uh, things like that, that, that uh, again, a lot of times our VARs are playing into that space. There's, of course, public transportation, uh, kiosks needed to facilitate that, anywhere from I think there were 200 uh, different airports that are going to be either modernized or worked on. So there's just, you know, when you talk about that much money (laughs) that's going into infrastructure, it's just it's going to leak into into a lot of areas, even capping off wells and stuff like that. It's just, you know, there's a lot of that going on, but also stuff that plays into our into our field. And maybe you were touching on it, but broadband and 5G is one of those areas that's going to
2: get a lot of funding, right? Absolutely. So, you know, we know, as we said earlier, about 20 to 25 percent of this overall 1.2 trillion appropriation is going to go to technology and technology related services. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh there, all the way back to the Obama administration. There there is a belief um, by this administration and, and the prior administration that the more connected we can get uh, rural areas that are underserved or underconnected, day. Uh, today, the the more we'll be able to expand our not only our intellectual footprint from from a citizen standpoint, but our ability to compete uh, overseas. And so, it's going to be a combination of enabling technology and rural service areas that have traditionally been underserved, with um, things like broadband and or five G. Uh, we have really crossed the chasm with five G from a capability standpoint and a security standpoint, and so. 5G is now a last mile enabler, right? We have not mm-hmm. had a wireless technology that was truly a a, a a last mile enabler. And so those investments are, are going to be strong. And, and the, there's going to be a lot of winners in these rural service areas that have been underserved for years and years and years by Uh, technology and connectivity.
1: That's an excellent point. You know, resellers understand that solutions are complex in the sense that there are multiple points communication when you're living on the edge, when you're developing solutions that require edge type of solutions where you've got a truck that's out in a rural area or somewhere else. Uh, it depends on other technologies in order to facilitate it. 5G is going to be one of those technologies that will enable a lot of this IoT that uh, has been talked about. And you're seeing it, obviously, in industry and in other areas, but now that it's starting to get out into... The e-commerce world, the last mile delivery world and stuff like that, it's, it's contingent on upon some of those things. So the fact that the investment's going to be heavy in that area is just more confirmation that, hey, you need to understand it, need to learn it. And then, yes, you can integrate it into your solution along the way as well. Absolutely.
2: Understanding that that uh, in traditional environments where connectivity was a challenge, right, mm-hmm. for the solution to be implemented, uh, there's going to be more pervasive connectivity over the next years, uh, over the next couple of years, and also more investment based on what we see as a part of this infrastructure bill. Uh, so it's it's an exciting time for our partners because we now can enable solutions in areas and across technologies that require bandwidth or strong application security uh, in more pervasive ways across five G networks. And so one of the things that we talked about with one of the wireless carriers recently is the whole concept of Moore's Law that technology improves or doubles in a seven year period, right? Well, we're, we're right at that seven year period from where 3G was launched, right? Pervasively. Mm. So mm. you could almost argue that 5G has a capability to be 6G. So mm. our hopes are that it will be transformational as an enabler for solutions in areas and with requirements that weren't um, possible before from a technology standpoint.
1: Going back to the power grid real quick, um, you know, EV charging stations, one one of the areas that's going to get a significant amount of funding here is electric vehicles, the infrastructure around that. You know, as a company, Blue Star, we are definitely getting interested in it, and we're very, and we're getting a uh, developing a play in there for our resellers, so that they can now offer. When you look at, and I won't get into the statistics here, but when you look at the opportunities that are coming down the line uh, of the infrastructure needed to be built out in order to support this. Uh, electric vehicle tsunami, as has been described. I mean, all the major manufacturers have said, in essence, by 2030, a significant portion, if not all their cars are going to be electric or hybrid of some sort. So you just have this need on that side to do that. And and the reason why Blue Star is interested in it is we see that as a connection to a lot of our resellers. For example, if you're a reseller that's working in the QSR world or retail or hospitality, well, a lot of these charging stations, whether it's a pole or whether it's a little bit more glamorous with a large screen display doing passive digital signage and a charging station, that's going to be put into place You know, outside of restaurants, outside of movie theaters, outside of retail establishments. Uh, there's it's going to be in rest areas going down the highway, uh, type of a thing. So that's one of those areas, right? Uh, where you know, you, you when you think about it, if you're a technology integrator, these are just one of those opportunities that's going to be coming to the forefront, and maybe you should consider having a play in there.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. And you know, we had some discussions, uh, some strategy discussions internally at Blue Star about this exact opportunity, uh, because. The way that I look at this opportunity is the shift is going to happen, and it's, it's going to be mandated to happen. Now, I'm sure the manufacturers will get, uh, the automobile manufacturers may get a little bit more time, but um, the shift is occurring. right? And so now what you have for our partners is we have the capability to provide services. right? We may have installed point of sale in a location. We may have installed wireless security or a wireless mesh network in a place. What we may be doing in the next three to five years is installing electric kiosks. And so we have to take the capabilities we have and merge them with the solutions of the future. And the solutions of the future are definitely one of the biggest verticals, in my opinion, is obviously the electric vehicle. Now, the other cool thing about these solutions is think about all the wrap digital signage. Right? Yep. Yeah. At our closest grocery store, the kiosk like whether you have an electric car or not, you're interested in it. I walked <laughs> up to it. I looked at it and I'm right. curious like what's going on here. And the signage is so much more sophisticated than what you see at a gas pump. Yeah. And so we have recurring revenue, we have maintenance, we have installation, and then we have wrap solutions that all are a part of, of this opportunity in this vertical. And what we have to do is take the capabilities that we've had to do different things to enable these technologies for our partners. So it's a, it's a great point and it it is going to be a huge opportunity in the years ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think something that's going to be super important for our VARs too, is if you have customers that are saying like, well, I'll wait and look into this EV thing until it's a bigger deal, you know, when, when these mandates are in place, this is one of those things, you don't want to be the last one in Mm -mm. because the, the, like the, the restaurant brands or the retailers, the rest areas, whatever the spaces are that are doing this sooner than later, are the ones that are going to create that memorable impression to consumers that think, hey, these folks were concerned about me and my electric vehicle and my needs long before the other brands were. And that that sticks with people. You know, If, you, if that was your first experience, like, hey, I used to go to this grocery store, but this grocery store has EV charging stations that I can charge up while I'm inside shopping, you may just decide that's your new grocery store mm-hmm. at that point and not go back. Even when the others get around to doing it because they were too late and they didn't meet your need when you needed it. So again, it's that this is that time to get in on it rather than, than when it's too late when everybody's doing it.
2: You, you want to be the, you want to be early and you want to be at the, the beginning of the adaption curve. It's a great point. But you also, from a planning standpoint, need to make sure that the remote services capabilities you have around lifecycle management, from the time something is bought to the time something is is taken off of a premise, right, from a client, that it's just a new widget, right? But we have to be really, really educated and and trained, and ahead of being able to implement a new technology, right? There is a story, I don't know if you heard about this recently, but in the DC area, um, someone was test driving a Tesla, and the, the charge ran out of the car, because she was not familiar with She's used to look, you know, used to looking at a gas gauge, but not familiar with like all the gauges. (laughs) And she coasted into a giant. And guess what was in the giant? They had three charging kiosks. (laughs) And so, you know, the thing is, is that there's there's also a brand loyalty piece to this. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, this is, you know, this this is a very uh, great vertical for us. And a lot of this technology will be funded out of the infrastructure bill. Yeah, yeah. And, and big dollars
1: uh, towards that. I think it's $7.5 billion, uh, to build out a, net, a national network of EV chargers that was in that bill. That's a lot of money, right, Jeff? <laughs> <It's>
2: a, <laughs> right, lot Jeff? Money. Again, a lot you know, of money. Yeah, you're talking about almost 10% of a federal annual budget. Uh, in, so yeah, like, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's why we're developing the solutions.
1: I think Jeff did a really good job of just kind of outlining. Uh, again, yeah. not to get really granular on this one, maybe we should do a podcast on it, John, just separately around the opportunities here because oh, yeah. there's a business plan can. there. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, and there we go go. we've already planned
0: out Jeff's next four episodes. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah, I mean there,
2: it, it's it's a tremendous opportunity, especially when you start integrating point of sale into the kiosk. Right, that's the that's the other thing that could be yeah. really cool. You pull up you charge and then you accept your order and they bring your order to you, you yeah and yep. Yep. Um, that's you know there's just there's a lot of wrap services here that are exciting that are margin opportunities for our partners yeah that's awesome.
0: Well, then let's let's start thinking about timelines here, because we all know when it comes to anything government related, stuff's very slow. If I'm sure our VARs that work in government are used to, you know, hey, this sounds great, but it's going to be five years Whoa. before I actually right. get around. And, 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 they, and they always
1: put in their plan, it's going to cost te- it's going to, you know, the cost of this are over 10 years. 10 years. Come on. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So so what are we looking at when it comes to, to timelines here for like getting projects funded for RFPs and RFQs going out? You know, what does that look like? Do, do we expect anything to happen this year, or is this kind of a longer term play?
2: I think you'll see some big bets get funded this year. I think you'll see some non traditional programs that didn't have funding uh, get programmed or get uh, funded this year. I think that you'll see some agencies that in the past uh, were uh, budget challenged try to leverage, be, be fast followers of these funding. Uh, Department of Transportation, EPA, some of these civilian agencies, uh, DOE, Department of Energy, right? There's huge opportunity for them that uh, far surpasses what their historical budgets have been from an investment standpoint in the, in the agency and in programs. So I think we're going to see all the agencies look for opportunities to fund uh, capital projects and anything that can be, uh, you know, earmarked towards these funds. And I think we're also going to be watching some of the non-traditional agencies are, are going to be winners here. Like I said earlier, DOE, EPA, DOT, uh, a part, as a part of DOT is FAA. Uh, so you see a, a lot of these agencies that have historically uh, been funded kind of incrementally, two or three percent more every year. They haven't really had, uh, you know, like the huge impacts that uh, that the one-off funding. And the discretionary funding plans have happened in Department of Defense, right? This infrastructure bill has an opportunity to impact different and new agencies than we've seen, uh, and so I think they're going to they're going to go after that money fast. Uh, it'll always happen slower than we would want it. We we would all love to see all all one point two trillion happen in the next month, right? We could just make it rain for uh, for the foreseeable future, but uh, I, I do think we'll see some neat stuff funded this year out of it yeah and i would encourage
1: folks to go back to some podcasts we've done with jeff because you know if i've put on my reseller hat i'm like oh man yeah i see this opportunity now how again do i sell into the government we tackled that you know a couple times so just just go back to a couple of those podcasts and and rewatch them Uh, really good information jeff jeff knows exactly how to sell into the government space yeah
2: well i appreciate that and i i think you know these are these agencies are going to be looking for uh solution providers That can communicate and articulate how to justify these solutions, right? And they haven't. They a lot of them don't have the experience, right? Uh, One of the DoD program managers that we spoke to uh, just today earlier was saying that they have a lot of experience spending money and running very expensive programs, but they don't have nearly as much experience, you know, defining a requirement super tactically to claim, right? T- technology modernization fund dollars or infrastructure bill dollars. Right. So are we have an opportunity to build a bridge and, and create awareness and create relationships that help the government optimize these funds. That's a really good point. And as
1: new new solutions need to come to the forefront for some of these activities in order for them to occur. So there's the opportunity, right? You don't worry about maybe some legacy folks that have been doing business with the government forever, like a Northrop Grumman or something like that. And you know, you feel like you're going up against this behemoth. No, in order to do this EV charging station, for example, grid that needs to go throughout the U.S., these are new players. This is new solutions that need to come to the yeah. forefront to your Point, Jeff, the government's going to rely on new technology integrators in order to facilitate that. You can have all the money in the world, but if there's nobody there to do it or no solution to solve it, you got an issue, right? Uh, so that's where some of these opportunities, I think, are going to lie. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, I think there's an underlying there's there's two points I'll make on that. The first is that we are already seeing as a part of the administration change an emphasis. Especially from Department of Defense for small businesses and uh, 8A, um, you know, minority owned uh, small businesses, and I think that there is a there is a belief that sure, a large system integrator or a multi billion dollar OEM, they would be happy to charge the government a lot of money to to put these things in, and then also tell them that they're a lot smarter than they are, and they're the only ones that know how to do it. But these agencies right now are looking for small companies that can help them innovate and be easy to do business with. Mm. And in some cases, if they have a socioeconomic status like 8A, uh, which is the SBA minority owned uh, certification for for small businesses, then they can even set aside the procurement uh, for somebody they believe has a unique solution. Right. So I think that there's a, a trend that, You know, some of the things that are changing with the administration are also going to change how these funds are managed and how these programs are put together. Nice.
0: I like it. So then, let's let's start thinking about the here and now. Are there any things that go, that Vars working government should be doing right now? And maybe connected to that, you know, what's what's happening at the federal, state, local levels that you're keeping an eye on? Because I'm sure sometimes that that stuff tends to move a little bit quicker, I think, than the federal stuff does. So maybe when you get down to the state and local, what are you keeping an eye on there? And, and what do you think Vars should be doing at this moment?
2: Right. So it's it's a great point. So the the first thing is we'll start with there. There's two major programs right now pending. Uh, one is the ITES program, which is the Army Enterprise Hardware Program. Uh, right now, it's due January 31st. Uh, it's it's a very coveted contract, 10-year, 10, $10 billion. Uh, we're supporting multiple clients on the response. And uh, if you want to sell to DOD and you want to sell enterprise hardware, you need to have a strategy, either be on a team or or be prepared to try to win that uh, with a very compelling proposal. Uh, the other big program that's being competed right now is GSA Polaris, and that is uh, a services type contract, uh, and it has socioeconomic swim lanes associated with it. It has large and small business um, awards, and I believe that over the next ten years, that a lot of these programs that are service related will go through that contract. So, um, having a capture plan, a teaming plan, and/or direct response plan for those two uh, contracts are, are the main thing that's happening in federal. On the state side, uh, you know, there's a strong belief. Again, the number uh, when I worked in the state of Florida, uh, in the legislature, in the in the finance and tax and budget committee, you know, we believe that about 15 percent of uh, of what, um, you know, this one point two trillion is if we were normally allocated, let's say, 11 percent of federal funding as a state. We would believe that that same 11 percent would feed 15 percent of this one point two trillion. Right. So all the states are doing the same things that the agencies are doing. They're hoping that this money trickles down into their mm-hmm. highway safety programs, into their rural service areas, into their school districts that are underserved yep. from a technology standpoint. And they're looking for opportunities to exploit. And, and that will trickle down a second time or a third time to local, right? Mm-hmm. Now the common denominator here is communication, right? And it's it's really important. We've talked about in previous podcasts, you know, we know there's a contracting and procurement group That there's three people that influence every contract, right? Then there's the program management piece, and then there's the technologist, right? The information technology piece. Right now, it's very, very important to be communicating to the program management side. Hmm. Because the program management of this three-legged stool, if you will, the program management people are the ones that are gonna have to do the planning to allocate these funds and create these programs. Mm -hmm. So I've said many times at certain times of the buying season. We want to be more visible and communicative with the contracting and procurement folks, right? Um, And that's after an IT requirement is done. But these aren't just IT requirements now. These are going to be large uh, agency-wide programs that are associated with incremental funding like agencies like the EPA have never seen before, right? Mm -hmm. So what our VARs need to be doing is, is making sure they're communicating with the program management side of the agencies, whether it be federal, state, or local in ensuring that they're contributing to the planning process, obviously, in a legal way without creating a conflict of interest, um, for them to utilize technology as an enabler to gather these funds, right? And to me, you know, it ebbs and flows between those three constituents of where you want to focus your communication plan, where you want to focus your sales inertia. But right now, it's it's very much on the, on the program management side. Yeah. Good path stuff. Good.
0: Good. Yeah, great place to start. You got a great point there. There's, there's, there's no reason not to be talking about this stuff, even if it's not an immediate movement that you think anything's going to happen. Yeah, and if, even if all of your partners are saying like, "Well, we're just waiting to find out what our piece of the pie is going to be," have the conversations, talk about what they're expecting, talk about what they're hoping to do, what they're hoping comes out of it. Have discussions about, hey, if let's say you got X billion dollars, a million dollars to do this funding, what would you do with it? And start talking through that process. There's no reason not to have those conversations, even if, you know, it's not exactly a finite thing that you can define. All right, here's our plan right now.
2: I mean, I would be pushing my sales organizations, my customer facing organizations to be uh, like it was September 1st in federal, right? The last 30 days, of the buying day frenzy from a communication standpoint. And there's another thing that our partners need to look out for. And it's what I call substitution spend. Uh, You may be following a program that's funded from a traditional budget, and if you're not communicating to that person regarding what they're thinking about doing with technology modernization fund or infrastructure or incremental spending or funds that they believe is available to uh, to the agency, then that program that was previous funded, they may pull it out and try to substitute spend for the incremental dollar. You don't want them to do that because the funds have already been allocated right and so or they may try to run a program adjacent to your program that you weren't aware of Hmm. and so if you're not communicating constantly about um what the planning cycles are for the budget and the new funds what the expectations are what are the programs that the agencies are most specific that they want to accomplish from a priority standpoint you're going to get outflanked by your competition right or the government's gonna make up their mind on their own and Mm -hmm. probably compete something that's uneducated, um, not because they're not smart people, but because they didn't get the right feedback from industry, right?
1: Or you weren't involved in that part of the communication or the the process, so they don't even know about you and what your solution might've been,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. Right, you're just turning in a proposal, you're turning in somebody else's proposal at that point. You're (laughs) you're one of another, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Definitely. Well, obviously, this year is a midterm year and in you know midterm elections, traditionally, the you know, whatever the party is that's in power has the presidency usually doesn't fare so well. There's usually always a kind of a shift to change things around and try out somebody else for for a little while. So given that maybe one or even both chambers of Congress might flip by the end of this year and heading into twenty three. Does that put any kind of pressure on deals to close right now, or projects to get underway? Does that even matter? Like, is there is there a chance that somebody might have a project in the works and then get funding pulled out from under them by a new, you know, or at least a you know a, a, a change in government that won't la- allow the strings to be pulled anymore on this on a particular project?
2: Yeah, it's it's a great point, and I, I think we're going to see some volatility in the midterm elections, uh, and, and maybe um, both houses turn, as you pointed out. Uh, the biggest thing at this point, because every major president, if you look at Obama with Obamacare, if you look at the National Recovery Act, if you look at uh, some of the things that President Trump did in his first year in office, you look at the infrastructure bill, the technology modernization fund, these these new administrations know they have to kind of make their signature splash bill a in the first clock, year or yeah. so because it could be volatile. Now, what I watch for in, in in midterms in the following two years is what? How does that impact the budget, right? Are the budgets um, going to be uh, go up? Are they going to be flat? Are they going to be more investment in the IT space? What will bipartisan uh, changes in control and or new people, if it's even if the votes get really really close, right? How does that impact the budget? So. I don't think you're going to see any other major plans or bills go through that is kind of a huge splash that would would leave a legacy for that president because they passed it. But what I do wonder is how functional the budget discussions are going to be versus political. And and that's the big thing we've got to watch uh, in the last two years of this administration. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're under continuing resolution, which means we can basically spend. So there is a budget in place, but it's basically last year's budget. And in most cases, discretionary spend is pretty hard to justify. So we want that. We want a budget in place here soon because, you know, September will get here. June for state and local entities will get here a lot faster than any of us think. What we don't want when we have this midterm potential shift is that we can't govern because the budget's not in place and we can't mm-hmm. spend because the arguments are political, not functional. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's what we'll be looking at is how does that impact the political climate? And then the biggest thing is the B word, how budgets are impacted.
0: <laughs> Makes sense.
2: <laughs> hey, Jeff, you brought it up before you move on, John. Uh, remember the TMF? We
1: talked about that a lot last time. Is that, that's still around, right? I mean, I... It, it is. It,
2: it didn't, it, you know, 18 agencies, uh, again, they had to do the, uh, an ROI. They had to uh, justify an ROI to get the funds. It wasn't clear uh, how that process really was supposed to work or be functional. But I think that we're going to see uh, probably before the midterm elections and, and maybe even in this uh, fiscal year, uh, more TMF dollars be spent, especially mm-hmm. on emerging technologies, um, you know, like AI, like cyber um, you know, those types of things, I think that, uh, we'll continue to see that obviously cloud proliferation, cyber, um, you know, all those things, uh, I think the government wants to invest in and make sure our, our infrastructure from an IT standpoint is, is safe and modernized and, uh, partitioned and, and, and cloud and for the most part in cloud environments.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff, for this this conversation. I feel like there's a, a, a lot to parse out here. And as Dean put it earlier, I think we could easily break off some of these and maybe a little dive in a little bit deeper on some of these subjects later in the year. So you can expect us to rely on you again at some point in the future. It's <laughs> uh, always one of my
2: favorite things to participate in. So I look forward to that.
0: Good. Wait, well, hey, before we get over to our recurring segments, I want to, as always, thank our TechConnect sponsors. So we got DataLogic, Elo, Epson, Honeywell, Intel, and Zebra. I think I got them all, Dean? Yeah. Yeah. We, we we bumped up our sponsors this year, so i got to right. start remembering the new, the new flow now. Thank you so much for your support of the show. We could not do this without you. Uh, as always, if you like the show, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button for this episode, subscribe to our channel, uh, bookmark uh, the playlist so you can come back to it at any time. If you're an audio listener, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a review and rating. Uh, we would appreciate that. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll check those out, and if it's a cool review, I'll may even read it on air sometime. And of course, as always, if you want to reach out to us, whether it's to tell us what you think of the show, ask us a question, give us some feedback, or tell us about topics you're interested in hearing, you can always find us by uh, like emailing us, techconnect at bluestarinc.com, or you can find us on Twitter at techneckpod. All right, let's wrap things up as always. First with the value to the VAR. This is a question I think we've kind of tackled in piecemeal throughout this entire conversation. But mm. if even if you're not a government VAR, if government's mm-hmm. not your thing, because I, you know, I know some people might be listening to this and thinking like, that's fine, but I don't play in government. What should you be keeping an eye on as these initiatives get underway? Uh, Jeff, I'll let you start.
2: Yeah, I think it, we did touch about it on a little bit longer. It's, it's all about these emerging technologies and these vertical technologies like Kiosk, like AI, like uh, cyber enablement, like cloud enablement, like applica- app- secure application development and implementation uh, in cloud environments uh, versus tr- traditional client-server ERP environments, um, it's making sure that our the solutions that we offer are keeping pace with what is going to be, in my mind, a very rapid proliferation of emerging technologies. And then when you look at 5G as an enabler to those technologies and also some of the rural broadband spending from a connectivity standpoint, we don't want this opportunity to pass us by because we were focused on just our core business or our core offerings, which could get substituted or replaced by these emerging technologies. So I think focusing on the strategy, focusing on the Blue Star Toolkit, Blue Star, I think, does is is an industry leader in in bringing new technologies to our partners ahead of the adoption curve, uh, and, and education is just so important right now.
1: I would agree with that. And and as I put my reseller hat on yeah, and maybe because we didn't sell into when I used to work for a reseller, we didn't really sell into the government that much either, but we did service other entities that serviced the, the government. So if you're a solution integrator and you have a sales team, I mean, I'd be knocking on the door of construction companies. I'd be not in our area because, you know, they maybe they're going to land a deal in a, in a year or two that's going to be, uh, you know, come about of, of of these policies in this program, or maybe it's a, an oil field services company that's in your area that, you know, they're going to, they're going to be really busy capping wells and doing all this other stuff and they need to, Manage their assets, and so there's just a lot of fringe stuff that happens off of that. So I would just kind of reinvigorate, look at your customer list of who maybe does business with the with the, and does it apply to some of these areas that we've talked about today and where this infrastructure uh, spend is going to go, uh, and reinvigorate your interest in in those uh, customers that you have. You you might find some opportunities there, right?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a great point, and we we said articulated a different way than we we discussed prior is. Most of our partners are in the service delivery business, mm-hmm. right? We, we deliver products and services for our customer base and we, we do it very efficiently, right? What we really have to be looking at is the shift in those products and services from some of the traditional technologies and traditional service delivery models that we've been so successful with over the last 15 or 20 years, right? Yeah. And I think the technology, even in government, is going to move really fast in the next three years. Yeah, really good point.
0: Awesome. The only thing I think I would add there is there's a reason why I think the administration wanted to refer to this as a jobs plan so much instead of an infrastructure bill. And part of that is because people hear infrastructure and they like snooze roads and bridges, (laughs) whatever, boring. right? But we know that like, there's a lot more to infrastructure than that. And that's part of the reason they wanted to kind of spice it up with this idea of a jobs plan because it will create jobs. But that also says to me like, Hey, a lot of these new jobs that are potentially getting created are people that are going to need technology to do that job. So, you know, even if it's, if it's, if you are thinking like, okay, there's a, you know, there's a, uh, a job coming along or a, you know, a a new project coming along for highway repair or some kind of infrastructure thing going on that has nothing to do with me and my business. Well, every one of those new employees might very well need some piece of technology to get that job done. There could be mobile computers, rugged tablets, barcode scanners, RFID, you know, there's all a, a myriad of different types of technologies that might need to be in play in order to get that job accomplished, even if the job itself has nothing to do with technology infrastructure, per se. Yeah. So I think that's something always to keep in mind is like, you know, even if even if you think that the projects that like might be hitting locally near you, as Dean, like you mentioned, you know, might not be specific to. What you think of as an IT project, mm-hmm. there might still be a complete need there, just because there might be an onslaught of new people that all need to have technology in their hands to mm-hmm. to communicate or to scan barcodes or whatever it is. So don't be afraid to ask about those opportunities and find you know peel some layers back and find out what those new employees are going to need because there's a good chance they don't have all the technology in hand that they're going to need to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Yeah. yeah, it's a great point, and you know we always say when when we're going after a major program with the government, you know, you differentiate with people, right? Which is your point, processes and tools, right? Right. And so as we hire through this infrastructure bill, our partners need to focus on helping our part, their end users build processes that enable their success and tools and meaning technology that also enable their success. So there's a huge opportunity there. It's a great point. As we add jo- as we add jobs, we add opportunities for our partners. Mm-hmm. Yep, bingo. Yep.
0: All right, well, hey, let's wrap things up, as always, with our favorite fun segment, What's Tech Connecting With You? Uh, this is where we get to talk about something from the world of science, tech innovation that has caught our attention. Could be something that could have a dramatic impact on the future and benefit of humanity or the destruction of us all. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I'll let you start. What's Tech Connecting With You right now?
2: Well, I'm just waiting to, to see Dean's one point true to two trillion dollar spaceship, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> so that we can do one of these in outer space at some point. No doubt. Year. No it's doubt. There's a
0: vanity project uh, for you there. I, mean, I think that's <laughs> one of the really
2: interesting thing is we've got, you know, three of the richest people in the world that are going after space travel. I know. Um, crazy, so right? It's really crazy. And and they're all spending, you know, an insane amount of money. And one of them is actually uh, partnered with NASA. Uh, to to enable space travel and so I think that's going to be really interesting from a technology standpoint and uh, if space travel you think I always think about when commercial airlines became pervasive it it, it seemed, Incredible to be able to fly to California from Florida, right, in six or right. seven hours. Yeah, imagine uh, imagine if we not only the research but the technology investment that will incur in that vertical, mm-hmm. and how it could act absolutely transform how we interact with each other uh, and bring borders closer together. So yeah. it's uh, it's interesting. I, I think it's uh, it's going to be really neat to see what develops. And we know there's three of the richest people in the world that are passionate about it, right?
1: So does it, does it answer an age old question? If you had more money than anything, you know, if you had all the money in the world that you could do whatever you want, I guess space travel would be one. <laughs> would be on the list, uh, whether you knew it or not, because that's what the three richest people are doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fascinating well, stuff.
0: Well, let's be honest. They wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think there was a way for them to get richer by well, doing yeah, it. Yeah. All right. Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah, you know, we there's talked about this on our last episode. And then there's also a more money piece. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we, Dean, you and I were talking about this on the last episode that, you know, Elon Musk is kind of a goofy character sometimes who has a right. lot of weird ideas that don't really go anywhere, but let's be honest, he is kind of propping up the space program right now. I don't yeah. know that we'd be talking about as much space travel as we have been if it weren't for what he's doing, because That's NASA nice. was kind of a sinking ship there for a That's while right. and people just yeah. didn't care anymore. And now we're kind of excited about space again yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So Revit- give him credit Revit- for that.
2: It's one of the best industry partnerships in the history of the federal government, the, the alliance that, that they have with NASA and you're right. Wow. When the when the shuttle program was abandoned, um, you know, and, and it really kind of abandoned space exploration. And mm-hmm. so it, it's it's been a very very functional partnership and yeah. uh, and needed, right? Uh, internationally, we were way behind. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Every day of this,
0: billionaires are useful. <laughs> <laughs> all right. everyone I, I, one. Of yeah. I right, got go
1: one for, for you. Can Can we all agree that rust is bad? Right? Oh, yeah. Like rust on a car, it's unsightly. or when you live in the rust belt, like we do, John, you know, you go over a bridge and you you see the rusting of the bridge, and it's like, uh... well, here's you wonder if this of, is the day. <laughs> this is the day that I might end up in the river uh, literally. <laughs> Uh, here's, here's the headline that I was reading. Self-healing steel could kick corrosion to the curb. So this here we go. Here's some science nice. for you. Mm-hmm. Scientists at Rice University say they might have a solution. According to new research, uh, they have produced a new alloy that has the potential of highly resistant to corrosion. They ran a test uh, you know, with bacteria and stuff like that, and it was 99.99% uh, inhibition efficiency, meaning it inhibited corrosion. Not only that, it gets even better. Uh, the, the, the coating, not only did it prevent corrosion, but it also has some interesting self-healing properties as well. Like if you were perforated this, this coating, it kind of healed itself. Um, along the way. So so maybe rust will be a thing of the past with this new alloy, new steel. Hey, like I said, you know, living in the rust belt, I, I'd be all in favor of something like that. We'll see. Now,
0: right. do you think the car companies might fight back against this because it kind of eats into <laughs> their desire to get you into a new vehicle when your old vehicle falls apart beneath Yes, <laughs>
1: that's a really good point. My daughter's car is, I'm looking at it out my window now, is rusting around the wheel edges. It needs to be replaced. So yeah, I, you know,
0: yeah, yeah. Although let's be honest, all this new, especially these new EV vehicles, is probably gonna be more plastics than anything by the right. time they're yeah. all yeah, said yeah, and done. So, yeah. all right. It's a good one. So, what's all right. So here with you. here's here's one of mine that is one of those could be great for the future of humanity or could destroy humanity. Things. So <laughs> here's here's the headline for you. Living robots made in a lab have found a new way to self-replicate. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. You just did
1: a quantum leap. Self-replicate. <laughs> Explain, please, sir. Sarah. Okay, Connor. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Now, to be fair, robots is a loose term here. These are these are organic robots. They call them xenobots. They're made from frog cells. So they've actually like replicated from these frog cells, and they found out a way that they can take these cells and basically build them like Legos from existing genetic material. Use what they want, take out what they want and build something that can be programmed to do functions. That's where it, that's why they refer to him as a robot because it can be programmed in a way, but they're so it's not programming really programming
1: the organic material,
0: right? So it's okay. not really a robot per se, Got but because it. of the programming aspect, it kind of acts like a robot. So apparently what they were doing is they were creating these. And the idea was, you know, there's some, some potential for use in regenerative medicine. You're like seeking out cancer cells or helping, Repair tissue or just various ways that maybe, maybe you might be useful in medicine someday. So originally they started making these kind of like little like round globules, I guess, of, of these stem cells, but they, they wanted them to be able to go around and do things and collect other stem cells to, to them to make them bigger. And grow but it wasn't really working out so well that way so instead they they modified the shape and turned them into like a pac-man shape basically <laughs> which made like a snow plow which was a lot easier for them to go around and scoop up additional material all right but for some reason in the process when they were going around and collecting those stem cells and putting them into piles together the piles started turning into copies of the originals oh, not in weird. the shape yeah. but at least in the in the design and the programming function and the, and the exact genetic material material that have been specified so it's sort of replicating itself in a very simple way but they insi- It's one of those things they insist, hey, this isn't really a big issue. We can easily cut the source here, off. Yeah, right, I right. know. Like every scientist says like, nah, it's perfectly safe. We're all good. And the next thing you know, giant Pac-Man globs are going to be consuming us all. I don't know. But we'll be up in space. So hopefully we'll be up We'll leave the earth to the xenobots. Yeah. So that was one of those things where the, the headline was a little more terrifying than the actual content yes, of the article. Yes, but yeah. they yeah. definitely caught my eye with robots suffering replicating no thank you i'm not ready for that yet no thank you (laughs) all right that does it for us today jeff smith thank you so much for joining us again we appreciate it thank you and we'll definitely have you back soon so for dean reverman i'm john martin until next time maybe don't make your robots self-replicate and uh (laughs) if you do we'll see you in space when (laughs) dean gets his 1.2 trillion dollars let's go Uh, and of course as always everybody stay connected The Tech Connect Podcast is brought to you by ELO. The ELO 1502 LM medical-grade touchscreen monitor merges best-in-class touchscreens technology with critical healthcare features, including adherence to IP22 and IEC standards. Its compact form factor and sleek design make it ideal for patient entertainment, virtual health, patient monitoring, respiratory and medication dispensing devices, and laboratories. Hilo's full line of medical-grade touch monitors are available in mountable display sizes from 15 to 27 inches and can support up to 10 simultaneous touches, whether it be with fingers, gloves, or styli. And yes, that is the plural of stylus because I am just that nerdy. Now, Dean, I have a story to tell you here real quick. Yes. So, once upon a time, back when I was in the 6th grade, I think, out in the mountains of Colorado, I won won my tiny little elementary school's spelling bee. (laughs) to to go to regionals with two of my classmates to compete there and I was down to the final three, which was actually me and both of my classmates and I messed up on talc. Oh no! I spelled it with a K. No! And it was like I just had a total brain freeze and (laughs) as soon as I said the moderator looked at me and she goes, well that's Talk. (laughs) So, well, thanks a lot. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I know. Oh, I understand. Man. So, unfortunately, I finished in third. But my, my two classmates, the two girls I came with, they both they both uh, finished first and second. So, we got to represent pretty well. But
1: and you weren't scarred great. for life, were you? Not,
0: no. no, not entirely. But, you know, just I'll never forget how to spell talc. Let's put it that way. Simple four-letter word. <laughs> Oh, well. Anyway, so back to the ELO 1502LM. From patient rooms to laboratories and anywhere healthcare is provided, ELO products are well-suited for medical applications where consistent and long-lasting quality and touch performance are critical. So to learn more about the 1502LM, check out the link in the show notes or contact your Blue Star ELO representative. TechNet podcast is also brought to you by Zebra. Dean, we just spent a whole episode talking all about government. Yeah. So we know that in the government space, rugged tablets can be very useful for Ooh, yeah. work out on the job sites and, and, and you know, the business environment.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, to think about police officers and fire chiefs and stuff like that, they need rugged stuff, you know?
0: You got it. Well, every day we depend on those many workers who protect our community, maintain critical infrastructures, and make the products we rely on. First responders, as you said, utility field service teams, manufacturing production line workers, they are essential to our way of life, but they need a tablet that's tailored for the essential work they perform, and the ZT-ET, the Zebra, ET-80, and ET-85 deliver. So these ETs, they meet the demand for two-in-one devices that can transform quickly from tablet to laptop to fixed or mobile workstation including an an optional integrated barcode scanner. Both options feature advanced CPUs, power precision plus batteries, and support for multiple communication options. The Wi-Fi-only ET80 is ideal for inside the four walls, while the Wi-Fi and cellular ET85 provides one device simplicity for workers on the move in the field. Sounds like some pretty cool stuff if you're on the go and you need a good... A good tablet slash workstation.
1: You got that right. Or if you happen to be a soldier out in the field and you need to convert, you need that ruggedized device. I think yeah, a pretty fragile.
0: Pretty cool. No offense to. No offense to Apple, but a fragile little iPad is not going to survive <laughs> the rigors of war. Okay, <laughs> right. Or a police chase, you know, yes. like bouncing around yes. a vehicle or something. Get yeah, the right
1: gear, it. and that sounds like it is the right gear.
0: Very much so. So to learn more about these rugged, lightweight Windows 10 tablets, check out the link in the show notes or contact your Blue Star representative.